Hello, everybody, and welcome to another weekly series of Mad Kudu uh, Marketing Ops Confessions. Um, my name is Laura Kendall, and I'll be hosting today. I run marketing here at Mad Kudu, and I'm joined by the wonderful Chelsea Kiko, who is the Director of Marketing Operations at McGraw-Hill. Um, so super excited to have her here today. Um, she is not only an industry thought leader, but an Adobe Experience Maker Award winner. She's a five-time Marketo champion, holy cow, um, and really enjoys advocating for marketing operations. Um, she has experience across the board from agency work um, to multiple different Fortune 500 organizations. So we're, we're definitely in for a treat here, um, and I hope you all enjoy it. If you do have questions that you want us to cover, feel free to use the questions tab um, to the right of your screen and go ahead and use the chat, say hello, share your LinkedIn um, and you know react with any emojis. We wanna make this a casual conversation and um, hope everyone can get everything out of it um, and more. So I'm gonna stop sharing my screen so you can see our glowing faces here. Um, and to kick things off, I thought it'd be interesting given um, the, the role that, that Chelsea has to talk a bit about her team um, and what the marketing apps team looks like at McGraw-Hill um, and you know, how she thinks about growing that organization. Yeah, hey, Laura, thanks. I'm so happy to be here. I love to talk about all things marketing ops, so this is, this is my jam. Um, yeah, so our team at McGraw-Hill, we I am very lucky and very blessed. I tell people that all the time because we have a wonderful team. Um, we have a marketing operations and a marketing automation arm and a lot of organizations don't have that, which is really great. Uh, so really our marketing automation team deals with um, you know, email marketing and a lot of the campaign strategy, campaign ops. And then our marketing operations side is a little bit more of the backend data infrastructure, architecture, making sure the systems are running good. Um, and then I oversee both teams. So I have team total of seven, which is really great. And we also have like really healthy agency support is what I always say. Um, we, have a, we have a great support system with our agency as well, who's really an extension of our team. So we have um, you know quite a big team and, and a lot of people when they hear marketing ops, like a team of six or seven, that doesn't yeah. seem that big, but it really is because there are so many teams of one in the mop space. So yeah, um, and, and everybody on my team is just fantastic. We we love what we do. So it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we've had several folks on this series, even like teams of one or, or teams of a couple, right? And and they're at organizations that are quite large. So it's great that you've been able to get the, those resources. And I do want to hear how you got to that. Um, but before we do, it's a very interesting when you call out breaking up marketing ops versus automation. Can you tell a little bit more about what the differences of those teams, what type of marketing ops person would role would fit in your marketing ops world versus your automation world? And um, yeah, let's yeah. let's let's dive in and get tactical. Yeah, we get a lot of questions about that, um, whether it's from you know things like this or even internally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we also have um, a, a broader marketing team, so product marketing, brand marketing, and, and they're also really great. But they have to understand how to use our teams, right? Right. Um, so a lot of times, what we say, I, I do a couple of different things. Um, if it's somebody who understands technology and, and understands systems, I'll explain it uh, more about. You know, marketing ops is a little bit more heads down um, behind the scenes, doing the operational type of work. Usually, you don't interact with a marketing ops person if you're on the campaign strategy side or product marketing side, unless it's about data or reporting or something like that. Okay. For the marketing automation. I really just say email marketing, nurtures, campaign marketing, 
that is their jam, right? They are a, they are a service type of organization. They have um, different requests that come in, they do those campaigns and that is really their jam, right? That's what they do. Mm-hmm. Now, as somebody who doesn't know much about either, um, mm-hmm. I do have something that I use to help understand like how people work in the industry for ops and automation. And I always say it's like a Broadway show. Um, so I'm a Hamilton fan, I don't know if anybody else is. Love so it. yeah, I've used it because I like Hamilton so much, but I always say that um, the best way to think about it is, you know, everybody who's on stage looks great. They always have their makeup on. They have the best costumes. The lighting's great. That's our campaign. So that's our campaign operations team. That's marketing automation. That's product marketing. They're making us look good to our customers. Uh, we're having this conversation with customers, really making our brand look well. But if you didn't have the back end, the stage crew, the stage managers, none of that would happen. So I always say marketing operations is more like a stage crew. Uh, And that's something that's really resonated with a lot of people, because really, if you think about it, that's what we're doing, right? We're connecting the dots. Um, We're doing the spotlighting on the data to make sure everything looks good. So that's another way I explain it as well. And I think it's helpful to explain that when you're hiring talent too, right, Laura? So you mentioned something about like what type of talent I would hire. One thing that that's really specific about marketing ops is, and that goes back to the Broadway analogy I mentioned, if you're not okay with not being in the spotlight, then you probably shouldn't be in marketing ops. Um, I always say, and I think a lot of us say this in the industry, if nobody knows my name, I'm doing my job right. <laughs> so that's a really good thing to have. Um, but if you're somebody who likes a little bit more of that woo type of piece, um, or you like to be recognized, or you like to be known in an organization for the campaigns you do, marketing ops is probably not gonna be the road you wanna go down. Um, you know, a lot of times we're very stealthy, we get in the weeds, we are resourceful. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be okay with being in the background a little bit. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the, um, the, I see it as like a pro and con for a lot of operations roles, right? Like you, the only reason someone knows your name is if something goes wrong, like you're saying, and, and that's tough, but there are reasons, especially as leaders like yourself, Chelsea, that you do have to step into the spotlight and advocate. So um, given that's such a important area of what you're doing and just something that you're super passionate about, let's, let's shift there because I think a lot of folks, um, as marketing ops is getting a lot more um, buzz and press these days, um, I think it'd be helpful for folks to know how they can do this in their organizations and for themselves, especially if they are a team of one and, and, and they deserve more resources. So first of all, how do you do it for yourself? How do you advocate for Chelsea? Yeah, um, I would say that's the hardest one I struggle with, I, in a lot of times, <laughs> which is funny, right? It doesn't make any sense. I am so good at advocating for my team and because I really care about them, I want them to be happy. But then I have to remember, I have to be happy too. So the way that I've advocated for my myself and my career is, I know a lot of us have dealt with imposter syndrome. Everybody's heard of it. I've been there, I've done that, right? But then I, what I try to take a look at is, look at what I've done for some organizations. Yeah, with a team and I have led it, but I try to look back at what I've done and I'm like, wow, I've really made an impact and I need to be okay with that and have the confidence that I have made an impact for this organization. So I should be treated that way, right? Um, And not only that, but I feel like it's tough to be a people manager and to be a leader. So a lot of times to advocate for myself, I try to think of what are my accomplishments accomplishments to date? Um, How am I an asset to the organization compared to the industry or my peers? And that's another reason why I love being in the community is I can keep up on things too, right? Oh, this person is a director at this company and they're doing this type of strategy. Great. I want to make sure I keep up with that too. So that's usually how I advocate for myself is I, you know, I say, yes, I haven't done this work all by myself, right? But I'm a leader and I'm a strong leader and I'm, I'm trying to grow and learn. 
Um, and so that's usually kind of what I what I present if I have to advocate for something and I usually make it pretty tangible. So I'll write down like here is what we've come up with as a team and I'm, I'm really lucky over here that our dashboards can showcase revenue. So then I can do that as well. So I really try to stick with the facts being a data person on what I want to advocate for myself um, for being able to whether it's a promotion, um, an extra budget, you know, piece for a Martech stack that I want to develop, um, what have you, but I usually try to keep it as consistent and data oriented as possible. That's great. And I love that you're using the community to find ideas of other things that you could be doing to uplevel yourself, but also how are others advocating? Um, I would imagine you're probably building your own, I like to call it like your own board of directors that you can turn to of like, hey, how can I run this by you? Can I see how you would um, react or, or what you would do differently in, in if you were in my shoes to get some, some different points of view, um, which I think is fantastic. Shifting gears, since it seems like that that's the hardest piece and hopefully this will yeah. be a bit easier. How do you advocate for your team? Yeah, so that one's easier for me <laughs> because, <laughs> um, because my team is great. But again, when you advocate for your team, you have to advocate up. Um, so a lot of times you have to make sure that you're advocating to the proper, for us, we say SLT, senior leadership team. Okay. Um, but a lot of times, one thing that I'm happy that I know and that I've learned is you know, when I say advocate, let's say we're talking about compensation or um, certain positions in a team. I know marketing ops and automation through through and through. I know what compensation should look like at what levels. So I'm really happy that I have that experience because a lot of times you might get a marketing ops leader who doesn't have that experience and they don't know what compensation ranges should be. Right. So I'm happy I know that because if, um, you know, if I've come into a team and I'm like, ooh, this person's really underpaid and they're a really big asset for us, we need to keep them then that's just more power for me to be like, here's the industry trends in this compensation of this type of role. And here's what we're paying this person. We really need even that out if we wanna keep this person on board, um, especially with a lot of the change in the industry right now, You know, people moving jobs. Mm -hmm. um, so that's usually the first thing I do is I take a look at what type of asset is this person to our team? Um, and, and I'm a big believer in you can teach the marketing automation um, skill sets, you can teach the data skill sets, but it's the soft skill sets that I really look for. So if somebody has those, you know, like attention to detail, a good team player can communicate well without my guidance, they can really kind of go on their own. Those are the people I want on my side more than ever. So right. I always take a look at, you know, what, what could there be um, a discrepancy where they might not be happy? And I just talk to them as well. Like, Hey, what can I do for you to make you happy here or happier? Um, and I kind of take that and run with it. And I really try to advocate for them um, to senior leadership because that's what my role is, right? I'm here yeah. to advocate for the team and, and overall for us too. Yeah. So I, I've done that here at McGraw Hill for a couple, um, one member individually on my team and I am very persistent. So I don't usually take no as an answer unless they have good reasoning. So I just keep chiming in on my one-on-ones, you know, when I'm meeting with, with um, either my manager or my manager's manager. You know, I'm like, hey, remember I mentioned this? And I'll like slide it back into the one-on-one -on -one agenda. Yeah. Um, so you got to do that too, right? You have to have the proper skill set to, to be able to be persistent and advocate. Yeah, that persistence is, I think, key. Um, you know, asking once is, is not enough. Um, and if it's important enough, you've got to keep that top of mind, not only in yourself, but um, in, in your the management layer above you. Um, one thing we talked about was, you know, with, with compensation and the market is so hot, right? Like I can't even count anymore how many times I see it posted on LinkedIn of like, oh my gosh, like marketing ops is so hot right now. There are so many great, you know, people out there, but like 
it's everyone's trying to hire one right now. Um, and a lot of times, especially in, in tech, I see people jumping from company to company, oftentimes so they can get what they feel is the adequate compensation for their role. Um, but what if we flip, flip the switch or flipped the scripts and mm -hmm. if somebody sticks around for, you know, three, four, five, ten 10 years or more at an organization, it's often seen that they're at a disadvantage because their compensation probably isn't scaling as much. Is that something that you've experienced? Yeah, um, absolutely. I have. So, and I, I think that's a big reason why um, the industry and especially, you know, those members within the, I would say like specialist to manager range are jumping jo um, jobs so often, like you mentioned, is because if they feel like they can't get the compensation they want after being there for three or four years, they're going to jump ship and find somebody who can pay them. Yeah. I have experienced it. Um, one thing McGraw Hill does really well as a business too, is like people have been here for a really long time. There's a lot of tenure. Yeah. Uh, and, and that only goes to show that, you know, we treat our, our people right. Um, but individually, like, you know, separated from McGraw Hill and just in my career in general, I have seen it. And usually a lot of times, um, the you know whoever is trying to advocate for that like maybe they've been in a company for 10 years it's also tough because some people don't want to do management roles right some people don't mm -hmm. want to lead people and a lot of times people only think that they have to lead a team to grow and to get compensated more mm -hmm. so sometimes i think that's the organization's problem right you know you need to understand that not everybody wants to be a people manager some people just want to be really good as an sme and do that and still get compensated accordingly so I would say normally what I've done before is make sure you really ask about the culture at your business, um, whether you're you're trying to advocate for a promotion or you're jumping to a new job. Ask about those things. You know, a lot of times in my interviews, I used to just be like, how's the culture, blah, 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 <laughs> the typical question, right? But now if I, if I was going to interview for another job, I would really dig on this piece. You know, hey, I want to lead people. What does that trajectory look like? How do you make sure compensation is always um, equal across the board for somebody who's been there for 10 years versus somebody who was just onboarded? And seeing their thoughts um, and philosophies on that will really tell you what you need to know about the business in general. Yeah, I love thinking about that as like kind of there's two parallel tracks. I know this is a very common concept in engineering, right? Like there's a track to yeah. leadership where you have people management and a track to leadership where you don't. And that could be very similar in, in marketing ops, right? Um, and I've seen and would love to hear how you've groomed your team members to figure out whether they are a good fit for which track, but giving them an agency to manage or something that's, you know, not hiring a full time employee and, and kind of putting all of your eggs in that basket, but giving them a chance to manage a project or, or manage an external resource is sometimes a good way to not only see if you're comfortable with it as their as their manager, but also do they like it? Do they enjoy that? Because a lot of folks that have come into marketing operations and haven't had that experience, they don't know, you know, none of us know in our professional lives, what we don't know. We see what we think we want. And, and sometimes it's not always what it's cracked up to be. Yes. Yeah. I love that you mentioned like the mentorship piece um, or, you know, managing an agency piece. Cause yeah. th there's kind of two things you can do with that is one, if somebody wants to be a people manager, you can see how they handle it. Or it could be the opposite. If somebody just wants to be, I, I keep saying the SME road, but really that strong SME. Yeah. Um, and then maybe they want to do some light mentorship um, to help grow their role. That's another opportunity for it. So, you know, like uh, managing agencies, uh, even interns or entry-level specialists, like having one direct where you manage them. That's also another good thing. Um, I've also seen sometimes company do dotted line reporting where 
technically as their manager and HR system, they report to maybe the director of the team, but they're dotted line to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. But normally how I go about seeing what my team wants to do is, you know, we do a check-in. We have our one-on-ones obviously, but I always try to make sure at least once a quarter, we do like a career check-in, you know, awesome. like, are you happy here? What can I do to make you happier? How can I help? Um, what could I do better as a manager? Like, I want to know that too and get some feedback. And that's where we start to talk about where they want to go. Um, you know, especially obviously I want to keep them on my team. What can we do to help you grow? Do you really like, um, you know, being the SME route and just being a mentor and a trainer, or do you want to lead people? And let's try to talk about how those tactics play. Um, so like on my team, I have one team member who she actually used to be a people manager. I know that she didn't really enjoy that because I just knew her from the community. I reached out to her for a senior analyst position on my team. And I was like, no direct reports. You get to just be in data all day. It's your thing. And she was like, yes, sign me up. Now she's on my team. So I think it just depends on on what they want. And there's so many different ways you can set people up for success, whether it's people managing or them wanting to just really be that SME. Yeah. And if you think about it, right, if you're not doing those meetings with your team, how are you going to know what to advocate for? Right. right. So yeah. full circle. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, the other thing too that you mentioned in those meetings is um, I think another core leadership role that is important or I guess attribute is being able to be approachable. Uh, I, you know, I know a lot of times when I was younger in my career, I knew I wanted a promotion or I knew I wanted to lead people, but I was just too nervous because my manager maybe wasn't the most approachable and was just more of like down the business type of person. Um, so I always make sure, you know, when I am leading teams, I'm approachable. I'm real. You know, like I, I always make sure I share stories about, oh, I had a crazy morning this morning. My son threw a pudding at me and we got into a fight and then he was late to school, you know, just keeping it real. Like, yes, I have these mornings too. Right. Yes. Um, especially with somebody you don't talk to that much. So the more you kind of keep it real and realistic to your team, the more comfortable they're going to feel coming to you about, you know, maybe something they want to advocate for, for themselves. So always make sure to have that relationship that you guys can really be um, having real conversations. Yeah. Especially in, you know, today's world where everyone's, you know, majority of people are work from home or it's often only virtual conversations. It it can be difficult to have those um, or manufacture those, you know, water cooler conversations and casual meet and greet sort of things. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you, think about shifting the mindset of marketing operations as a strategic function. We'd love to hear some of the things that you do. Um, you know, how do you get yeses to the questions you're asking other than just sheer persistence? Yes, that's a very good uh, discussion topic. It has been a trial and tribulation, I would say. Learning um, the hard way. Yeah. Yes. And I've been at organizations where they're like, yay, mops. And I've been at organizations where they're like, who's mops? Like they have no idea. So um, my organization now is like, they're, they're great. Um, Our chief revenue officer really believes in revenue and data and and showcasing how you can tie things together. So it has made my job a little easier because um, I have that vision and leadership. Um, The other thing too, is my direct manager is a sales and, and marketing systems guy. So he understands data really well. He understands the position I've been in. So I'm lucky to have that type of leadership. But a lot of times people's leadership is maybe generalized marketing. I've even seen some people roll up to like a web prod type of person um, or the demand gen umbrella. So I would say the first thing, if your team or your leadership doesn't know much about what your team does is you need to get the right things in place to showcase how important your team is. 
Um, and, you know, things like, you know, whether you're trying to ask for a one-on-one -on -one with somebody in your senior leadership just to show what your team's been doing, or if you get a spot in your quarterly share outs, like take that very seriously. A lot of times I just make it known um, without marketing ops, you guys wouldn't be able to, I mean, email our customers in a strategic way. You wouldn't have nurture set up. Um, you know, a lot of businesses I've been at, all those hand raisers, nobody's going to fulfill those because marketing automation won't be there. Um, so I always make it known, like awareness is the first step. If nobody really knows what your team does or how you're important, is just keeping that awareness. Um, and don't be afraid as a leader of the team to be asked to be included into some high level or important meetings. If you know that the leadership team is meeting on strategies for the next quarter, ask if you can have a seat at that table. I mean, you know, the worst case they're going to say is no, but say, hey, I would love to listen in. I love to hear strategy that the team's planning so I can think of how those fit into our systems and are right. our systems capable of helping those strategies. Um, so not being afraid to speak up and kind of insert yourself is I think how you can create that awareness. Uh, once you have the awareness, it's really trying to say, you know, this is what we do for the organization and we, can, we can't do it with one person. You know, think of what we would do if we had two, three or four people and try to showcase that vision for whomever you're talking to. If you had a full team, what could you guys accomplish and put it into like real perspectives for them? How do you think about that when, um, and, and hopefully not, this isn't the norm, but um, I, I've experienced like the pushback of, well, it's it's HubSpot, it's Marketo, isn't that easy to just like, it, it's automation. So yeah. why do you need more headcount or an agency to be able to do that? Like, isn't it just like you set up segmentation or you've got you know email templates and then you just keep using them sort of thing? How do you, um, how do you advocate to go back to that word for yeah. the growth of your team? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if they don't under, I, I get that. Isn't it a push of a button all the time? It's kind of funny. Um, now if it's somebody who thinks it's easy, right? Like, cause they're like, well, we have Marketo or HubSpot or Parti. Right. it should be easy to do. Right. Uh, a lot of times what I try to do is depending on what type of relationship I have with this person. So let's just put in a perspective where you're a director and it's your VP who's looking if they're going to put funding into your team. I, I always make sure that I, I give that full awareness with them. So I will sit down with them and I'll be like, yes, you think that our, our systems are really easy, but here's our documentation just to put one, you know, one email together or on our team, my senior marketing automation manager, she has a job request dashboard, which is beautiful because we get to showcase how often somebody's inputting um, a project, how many projects we're doing per month, how long those projects take. So we have data we can actually showcase where I'm like, okay, we have 44 jobs this month and we only have three people. Each job takes about four to six hours. You know, I try to quantify it in that way where I, the numbers don't lie, where you're like, okay, we have projects that, that succeed 40 hours a week and we only mm -hmm. have one person, you know, something like that. So having some type of job rec dashboard is something I would recommend too doesn't have to be anything crazy and integrated and pretty, right? It can be something for now, like whether you have Smartsheet or even Excel, however you want to document it, but document all the requests coming in. Uh, and that's why our team has like a request form too, where anytime you want anything done by either of our teams, you have to request it. And that's, that helps us to quantify, first of all, we can predict our resourcing for the year. Mm -hmm. And then when I go to renew our budget for our agency, I can predict how much we're going to have with marketing automation versus operations but it helps you with those key conversations. 
here is all this, you know, all this that we're doing in a year and we have one person, this is not sustainable. And this is why we need more. So that's usually what we've done is again, showing them, you can't just say, we're really busy. Things are really hard because anybody who's spending money is going to ask you to showcase them how. Um, so making sure you have something to show whomever you're talking to is going to be probably the utmost importance. That's awesome. Um, kind of on a similar topic, um, managing budget is, is often something that falls under marketing ops's purview. And I know we don't talk about that much on this series. So you and I chatted about it. Nobody trained you how to do it. I don't like in my experience, nobody trained me how to, how to manage a budget. Um, let's talk a bit about that. And like, hopefully we can share um, some, some tidbits to make it easier for those following in our footsteps. Yes. Uh, the non-training point, I was <laughs> thrown into it and I'm like, wait, Sometimes I, I the best way to learn, I will. I know. You know I will, and I like inherited all these contracts and I'm like, I don't even know what these people do. So um, I, the first thing I did, and if other organizations have this, great, but we have like a marketing admin who supports our team. She's amazing. She's fantastic. I used her to the full potential. I was like, I appreciate you and everything you do. Can you give me a crash course on how I even go to request a vendor being onboarded. Mm -hmm. And we do have some, we do have some light documentation, right. From like our finance team, but um, depending on what company you're in larger organizations, there's so many different hoops that are involved in budgeting. So really how I've, how I've managed it is learning from other people. So I would either ask somebody who I know manages a budget or our admin and say, Hey, can you help me out here? I'm trying to renew this contract. Um, this is what I'm looking at and, you know, go from there. The other thing I've put in my mind too, is I treat it like it's my own money. Um, I like to take it very seriously. And if we have a contract that we're spending 30 K on and we barely use it, well, that's 30 K that we could be using elsewhere. So when I first got the budget inherited to me on several roles, not just here, I took a look at, okay, what do I know we use? And there's really no, uh, you know, changing it back and forth. I know this is going to be a line item. And then I went through and kind of did an audit on other tech, our tech sources where I'm like, maybe we can find something better for cheaper. I don't even know if we use this. So I'm going to talk to the main users of this. Um, so I kind of did my own listening tour, if you will, of the budget and mm -hmm. asked people about it and what we use it for and really dug into it because I knew upon contract renewal, I want to know, you know, how to spend our money. So that's one way I did it. And then we also, you know, I always keep like a tracker too of like what we're spending with the team. Um, but I would say it is a lot of just learning the process and figuring it out as you go. A lot of MOPS people are used to that because that's how we've learned the platforms right. we're in. Um, but just, you know, taking it seriously like it's your own money is probably some of the best suggestions I could I could give. Yeah. And, and on top of that, right, is have your big line item buckets and have a way to measure those. Not everything is going to be able to be easily tied directly back to pipeline or revenue, or even like top of the funnel metrics, sometimes they're difficult to measure. Like brand is going to be a bucket. That's, yeah. that's an often talked about difficult, um, thing to, to tie back to, um, but have your, your KPIs that you're tracking for those budgets and align with your CEO or your manager or whomever. So mm -hmm. everyone's in agreement that like, when we spend this money, here's what we expect to see out of it. So then yeah. you're going back to that KPI and everyone has already agreed on it. Um, yes, I love not that. doing that is one of the mistakes that I have learned. So, so I, I will share that. Well, now, um, you know, <laughs> right, right. Um, shame on us. If we make, you know, the same mistakes <laughs> over and over, um, double shame if we don't share how we solve that, because I'm a yeah. big, big, um, believer in not reinventing the wheel and learning from 
you know, I'm not so unique that nobody has had this challenge before. It is my job to find um, the solutions to the problem and implement the one that works best for, for our, our company. Um, big bucket, um, big line item bucket that continues to grow for marketers. I think I read something where CMOs now have a larger tech stack and or tech budget than CIOs in, in organizations as tech. Yeah. Um, yep. How do you think about managing that when I know I often will get, you know, from the CFO or others, like, what exactly does this thing do? Like, why do we need this? Yes, that's, that's a good one. Now, the one thing that I have, I've been lucky in my past and here too, is a lot of our tools are shared across BUs. So that's a good thing because you have more people on your side, if you will. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, I haven't really been questioned a lot on some of it. Um, and I don't know if it's just because, I mean, I'd like to think it's because we use it flawlessly, but I doubt that's the case. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what I'll tell myself. But yes. I, I do have, like, I have, I, I guess, different data points and different usage prepared if I'm asked questions about that. But normally, like our traditional tech stack, I usually don't get a lot of questions because um, we know, like, you know, and I think that's also a good job of just our broader team of communicating how we use these tools, but most of our senior leadership knows Marketo is important. They know Salesforce is important. And yeah, it costs a lot of money, but we know we use it every day. Now, different things like, I do know I tried to onboard, um, at one of my previous roles, I tried to onboard a like email verification vendor, and I got a lot of questions about that. So yeah. um, for that type of thing, what I did was we were struggling with our email deliverability rate. And so I pulled some data from the marketing automation platform we had on like how many bad emails we had, how our deliverability rate is just tanking month over month. Um, and then I showcase, um, I went to the vendor's website and found some case studies that they had because a lot of vendors have that as promotional materials. Yeah. And I kind of did my own documentation of here's how bad ours is. And I predict we could get to this metric to, to get better. And it kind of goes back to your KPI thing. Um, yeah. So with this tool that costs 30k a month or what have you, we could we could um, avoid a blacklist event. We could avoid um, our emails going into spam more because people aren't opening them. So I would communicate the benefits that way and do my own research with our live data in our system so they can really see how it's going to influence it. Yeah, yeah, building a case and justifying while it feels sometimes like extra work is is a real key to making sure that it's not only adopted, but it's seen as a valuable piece and not something that's gonna get cut as soon as people are like, well, are we using it or are we not? Absolutely, yeah. Um, sales and marketing alignment is something that we like to talk about on this series a lot. And yeah. I know that you're passionate about it as well. You speak about it quite a bit at, at different conferences and things. I wanna just hear your your take on it. What is what does good sales and marketing alignment look like? And um, what should that that handshake be? How should you as a marketing ops director be helping facilitate that? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a, a hot topic that a lot of people discuss. Um, and I definitely have a lot of experience at most of the organizations I've been at. I have a really great partner here too um, at McGraw Hill on the higher ed side who um, has also like we kind of share our advocacies, I guess, for sales marketing alignment and how we do it. So it's really great to have her as a team member. Um, but really, I think the relationship is of any other relationship of anybody in your business, right? You want to be open, you want to communicate. Um, and the other thing I've noticed with sales is they have to know the what's in it for me factor. Yeah. It's just how it is. And I, and I get it. They're busy. And I really I, I trust their work. I know how busy they are. And I appreciate their work. So when they ask the what's in it for me factor, I don't get offended. 
I don't get defensive. I just say, absolutely, that's a great question. Why should you take the extra 30 seconds per opportunity to mark down these data points? Well, here's what it showcases. So that's one thing that I always make sure that I communicate when I talk to sales, um, whether we survey them or we're doing new enhancements, is I say, I know you're probably gonna ask me, here's how it benefits you directly, not me, not our dashboards, here's how it benefits you as a sales mm -hmm. rep. Mm -hmm. So making sure you have that communicated is important. And I've always talked about too, is having a champion on the sales leadership. Like it's something I say in every presentation I do, but I just believe it so firmly. You have to have somebody on the leadership team in sales that believes in marketing ops. They believe in what you do um, and they can really help influence if you're having a tough time uh, getting into the sales reps to communicate something to them. Who should that be? I mean, should it be the highest? Should it be, you know, the sales yeah. development team? Should it be the field sales team? Sales ops? Really, yeah, no, that's a good question. I don't know if I've ever, I, when I say leadership, at least somebody who has some type of influence. Um, and a lot of times I don't go hunting for this person. You can kind of tell with how they either work their opportunities or how they showcase their customers or how they do email or outreach if they believe in marketing. Because if they're using a lot of tools that you're doing, they, they believe in you, right? Because they're doing it the right way. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll look at, um, you know, just some different data pieces or I'll look maybe at the RVPs or the DMs first to see if there's anybody yeah. who would have some good influence. And usually I like if I do an intro call or if I do like a quarterly call of just how each side is going, I'll see if they have that interest. And a lot of times I've, I've really never not had at least somebody to help out. So, you know, like, you know, currently now I have um, we actually have a nice partnership. Our sales admin team and our marketing ops team is one team. So because the sales reps already naturally trust the sales yes. admin team, now that we're one team, that was actually something that kind of made us stronger together. Yeah, it's kind of a, a check in the pro box for that centralized kind of revenue operations yep. um, model. You, when we were chatting offline, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned like meeting one-on-one -on -one with sales reps or, or cohorts of sales reps quarterly, and then also with senior leadership and how you have to switch your mindset and your approach when you're talking with one group versus the other. And I thought it was so interesting. I would love for you to like, just repeat what you had said offline. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost like taking on a different persona. Um, yeah. And not in a bad you way. Wear many hats, not, right? Yeah, it's wearing the hats, exactly. It's not being fake by any means. It's just servicing the customers, right. your customers internally as you need to. So a lot of times the way that my discussions are or my personality like within or my, my goal of the meeting will change, right? So when I'm talking to sales reps and I'm meeting with them, a lot of times we try to do quarterly interviews. Um, we have reps that just raise their hand to talk with us and we, we love that about them. So we'll sit down and ask them how things are going. When I talk to reps, it's more about servicing them. What can we do to make this better for you? And we noticed you haven't been linking your tasks to opportunities. How can we make this easier for you? Uh, how do you feel like marketing leads are? Are they good quality? Do they need some help? So it's more of like, what can I do for you when I talk mm -hmm. to them? When I'm talking to senior leadership and whether I am talking about what we accomplished last quarter, what I need from them, it's more of like, here's what I need from you. So it's different, right? I'm asking them for help. I'm saying, if you trust me to do X, Y, Z and give me more agency support or help me purchase this tech piece, this is what I can do for you, but I need you to help me out. So it's a little bit opposite. I'm being more of an asker. And when I talk to sales, it's more like, what can I do for you? So it's really, that's why you have to wear the different hats and mops, right? Because you work with so many different types of people that we have internal customers that I treat them just like they were an external customer. I need mm -hmm. to communicate with them clearly. I need to accomplish what they want me to accomplish to help our relationship. So 
that's really how I treat the two conversations. And um, with senior leadership, of course, I'm not going to be like, what can I do more for you? I'm going to be like, I already am doing so much <laughs> and we need more help here, here and here. Um, so being able to put your foot down and have the confidence to speak to that too is really something that, that you have to learn as well in this unicorn role that we're in. Yes, yes, well said. Um, and I actually had a product manager who we went down a rabbit hole of the wearing many hats. And when she would do product demos for us internally, she actually would bring on two hats and she'd change <laughs> her hats like purple hat was when she was the actual customer, the product user, and then <laughs> red hat was when she was the salesperson giving the demo. And, and it was, it That's was amazing. Now I'm wondering if, if all mops people should be just, you know, wearing many hat many hats and I know, I know like need to give is, is when you, when you had thousand with... people, yeah. <laughs> I love that. So uh, another thing with the sales marketing lineman is like, what's that lead management life cycle look like? And you all at, at McGraw-Hill have a, a unique kind of non-traditional or non-typical model um, and would love for you to talk about it. Um, not because I, like we have only you know folks that sell into educational systems and, and schools and whatnot, but I think it's good to think about different ways to manage your lead funnel. And um, when you and I were talking about it, I started getting ideas about like different things we could do here at MadKudu. So, can you walk us through what that looks like and, and share like what works and what doesn't? Yeah, um, absolutely. And again, it's, you have to tailor it to how your business business is and operates. I've been at organizations before where lead scoring worked for us. It was great. We were successful and I've been places where we weren't even ready for that. Um, so here currently what we do is we have kind of a, a different type of routing model. And this is something that I love to showcase and talk to people about because I'm not saying lead scoring isn't a cool thing or that it's a great thing to implement, but sometimes you just don't need it. Uh, and I think all the time people are like, all right, we have a new Mark, uh, you know, Marketo or HubSpot instance, lead scoring, lead lifecycle, let's set it up. And that's not how it always has to go. So I'm trying to break that stigma a little bit. I'm not anti-lead scoring, but I'm just like, make sure you don't just run with it, make sure it works for your business first. And that's what we did here. And this was actually something I inherited with the great work of people before me, but then we just kept enhancing it. So we don't do any type of like lead life cycle, lead scoring, really nothing along those lines. Um, we just do what we call master forms and they are like really, uh, really legit, almost sales qualified call to actions that we're asking in those forms. So it's like request a demo, contact the rep, um, request a print sample that's really popular for teachers. And that is all that we route to sales right now. We don't route anybody who hits a threshold because they attended an event and mm -hmm. looked at a content piece. We don't route that right now. There's a lot of reasoning why, and um, and this is why I say, make sure it works for your organization. One thing about our company is our brand is pretty reputable. People in the education space know of McGraw-Hill. We've been around yeah. for 130 years plus. We are, we are well known. So because of that, we get a lot of organic traffic to our website. We get a lot of um, requests coming to our, our forms just naturally because people know who we oh, are wow. and with, yeah, exactly. And in our marketing, of course, but we get so many requests, um, that, you know, we took a look at, okay, sales can only like sales can only keep up with hand raisers right now. So, you know, our SLA is usually around two days to at least get back to the customer until we can be consistently on the two days year over year, month over month. I am not going to give them more leads that did not raise their hand uh, for several reasons, right? One is how, and, and we could always communicate how to distinguish a lead scoring threshold versus a hand raiser, 
Yeah. I don't want, I want sales focused on the people who are asking to talk to them. I don't want them to look at, oh, this person wants a print sample, but this person met threshold, I'm going to reach out to the lead scoring person first and just not know about it. Right. I want to make sure they're making educated decisions. So that's why we did it is right now we're getting plenty of traffic that way. Our pipeline is really healthy that way. So why change it up, you know, right now? Um, so, I mean, that doesn't mean to say like we are piloting lead scoring with some of our smaller inside sales groups to see if it could work in the future, but that's really how our routing is. We don't have any type of life cycle either. Um, no different status of lead, engage, qualified, sales qualified, all that stuff. It's more of, we use the Salesforce and Marketo task object, send that to our reps um, that helps them remain accountable. And that's how they get back to their customers. Yeah. Do you ever um, consider or question like, should we have more sales reps that could go after and find those diamonds in the rough through the pool? Um, or to your point, if pipeline is healthy and you're meeting your growth targets quarter mm -hmm. over quarter, um, and fortunately it's, you know, you're fortunate enough that you've got that big brand that, you know, kind of the wind is behind your back, so to speak. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to think about the difference situation that you're in compared to a lot of like software companies that are startups and are part of, you know, a community of, of solutions that they have to go up against. They don't have a brand. They're fighting for um, mind share of their prospects. And so um, it, it's interesting to think about the differences and, and the needs of the sales organization, because at the end of the day, your lead management and your lead scorings, your the end user of that is the sales team. Right. And I, I think from there is, uh, that's my, that's not my decision to make. Right. I mean, that's, I, that's where I have to trust my sales leadership and I do trust them. Uh, however, you know, if we ever talked about ex expanding, I would hope they would bring me into the conversation. So that's where, again, the whole advocacy or awareness of marketing ops is important because if sales leadership is thinking about growing their sales force, uh, not, not the, uh, the platform piece, but their actual sales reps, yeah. Um, like you want to, you would want to be brought in. So you right. want to make sure that they think, oh yeah, marketing ops sends over all those tasks. We need to think of them too. Like if we bring more reps on, how could they help us accommodate by sending more over? Uh, so that starts with that relationship piece. And yeah. if it's yeah. something that they would want to do, you know, I would support it and see what we can do on our end, but I'm also going to be realistic with them. We can pilot lead scoring, but if it's not successful, I'm not going to roll it out to everybody. We're just going to see how it works. So it's just that partnership. You have to trust the sales leadership team. And I, and in all the organizations I've been at, I usually do trust them because they know what they're doing. Um, and they just hopefully would pull you in when needed. Right, right. Um, so you have trust and partnership. Um, product marketing is, is a big function for McGraw-Hill. And I think it's a bit unique that you've got product marketers that you're working directly with and empowering them to use the automation tools and work with your team, um, both sides of the team, right? Like marketing ops and automation. Um, mm -hmm. I'd love to hear how you you guide and empower them as, as key stakeholders in, in the success of marketing. Yeah, we definitely have a, a, a lot of team members and um, they are very creative and very innovative people. That's why I, um, I, I value those product marketers because it's not something I could do. <laughs> I'm not very big on strategy and campaigns and they do a really great job. So that's where, again, like you mentioned, that relationship, that partnership is important. I always want, no matter where I am, if I, you know, if I'm mm -hmm. at a different organization or here, I always want those who are creating the campaign strategies or they're promoting their particular product to feel empowered to do so and know that our team is there to support them. I, by no means do I want to take over their strategy. By no means do I want to say, oh, I don't know if that's the best idea. Let's do this instead. 
Mm -hmm. I, they are experts at what they do. And that's where that trust comes into play is I will be there for, okay, you guys have a data question or, and and maybe they do something where I'm like, well, wait a second, the way the data is set up, it might make sense to do it this way instead. But I always make sure they feel empowered because that's what they do best. And if you are a marketing automation team who tries to just overrun everybody's campaign strategy and do it yourself, nobody's going to want to use you. Like that's not a supportive team member. Um, so we always make sure to say, hey, once you guys have your strategy ready to go, submit it as a PRF. So in our in our request form, we will mm-hmm. then take a look at it, meet with you and see, hey, can we do this in Marketo or can we do this within our Salesforce systems? Um, so that's my approach to it. I try to make sure our, our team does it that way. Um, and, you know, the, the my team member who leads marketing automation, she completely agrees with that philosophy. So it's really nice that our relationship should be pull in marketing ops when you need that support or have some questions. But again, like do do your thing. You know, that's what yeah. we're here for. Do you so. ever find that they go rogue? Like they're like, gosh, I, you know, hmm. I'm going to go around them or yeah. Not here. Not really. Like we have a really great team here. Uh, yes. Other organizations I've been at. Oh yeah. They go rogue all the time. Um, moreover where they, I've, I've been in situations before and I, like, like we mentioned in the beginning, I was agency side before too. Mm-hmm. So I've had clients, um, just <laughs> for some reason that, and, and because they don't have like their users and roles set up properly in their marketing automation platform, they would go in and like send their own email because they were like, Oh, well, it's just really quick and I can get it done. And you're just like, oh my gosh, did you use our segmentation filter? Did you wean out the proper data? Like, you know, you're starting Did you suppress the right list? Yeah. I'm like, what did you do? (laughs) So um, when people go rogue, it depends. One, if it's like literal in your instance going rogue, set up new users and roles. Easy peasy, right? But if it's they're going rogue, like going over your head to try to do their own email promotions through like Salesforce or a sales enablement tool. Um, I would, again, explain to them the benefit of using our source of truth database. Hey, guys, if you use Salesforce to send emails, we don't track um, email, you know, email invalid in that. We only have that Marketo. Um, We don't have email templates set up. We don't have our copyright and privacy policy. We're not in compliance. Like try to communicate the benefits of if they go rogue, here's what could happen versus, you know, going through your team. And I would also have a conversation of why they went rogue, like get to the bottom of it. Is it because right. our SLAs are too long? Is it because you're trying to feel empowered to do it yourself and try to sort that piece out too, because there's some type of reason why they went rogue. Yeah. yeah. And in my experience, a lot of times you bring that up, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. Like mm-hmm. I, at my last company, I used to run, you know, do emails this way. And, and so then it's like, okay, maybe we need to do an onboarding or we need to like educate people of all the tools and how to use them and who to go to. So um, yes. I like to, you know, assume the best. And, um, you know, people aren't going out to, to make our jobs as marketing ops leaders um, harder. Yeah. But, um, you know, as, as more and more technology becomes easier and easier for everybody to use, um, I think it's something that, that marketing ops have to think about more, you know, like this, yeah. you know, the rise of the, the no code movement and like technology that, um, gosh, anybody could just, you know, grab because, you know, it's, it's free product or a freemium, you know, functionality is as part of a larger platform that they just want to play around with, um, it becomes difficult, right? Like think about all of the different tools that sales can just create a contact or a lead in Salesforce with. And, and even myself, I, I struggle with what's the, the line in the sand between like, we're a startup, we've got to move fast. I want to empower sales to go do that. We'll figure out the data cleanliness later. Um, yeah. that only works for so long. Um, but 
yeah, it's, you know, I, I don't have a solution for it, but it's, it's, you know, something I think about. Yeah. And no, I like your point of like, sometimes it really is accidental. If it's somebody who's new or they don't know the process, I get mm -hmm. that. Right. Um, but I also try to make people meet people in the middle too. If somebody's trying to learn the platform yeah. and trying to learn from us, then, okay, maybe we set them up with something in our testing workspace where they can't ever send a real email, um, or we mentor them a little bit. But again, I think getting to the bottom of um, how you handle it day to day, to your point, it's getting harder and harder. That's why documentation process center of excellence at this organization of our size is very key because then there's no like, oopsie, I didn't know. And it's like, well, we have 50 <laughs> pages of documentation talking yeah. just about this. So yeah. Um, yeah. making sure you set that up, especially now you mentioned startup, that's going to be a completely different ballgame, right? But um, trying to get those processes in place as soon as possible is going to help you really kind of maintain um, people going rogue. Yes. Yes. Speaking of process and documentation, what is, what is your take on that? And, and how do you make sure that there is, um, well, I guess, first of all, like pro or con, I'm assuming pro, cause you've mentioned it a few times in, in the yeah. call today. Um, but how do you make sure it stays up to date? Like, especially when there's constantly changing functionality of the tech stack that you have, um, mm -hmm. and new people that are coming in, how do you make sure that it stays up to date? Yeah, uh, I obviously am pro documentation. I I love a an evening where I can just sit down and have some coffee and like do up some documentation. I love that. So I'm a total nerd. I know my my husband makes fun of me. He's just like, you really enjoy documenting this stuff. I'm like, I, I truly do. So I've made that um, statement about putting headphones in and cleaning data. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fun. Oh, yeah, that's a fun time. A couple um, of nerds on the call right here. If anyone hasn't noticed. Yes, I love those type of things. Um, but keeping it up to date, yes, that is difficult. So we usually try to have um, certain team members own the certain pieces of documentation, and that is part of their role. That is their ownership. It's up to them to keep that updated. So for example, like we have our the routing that I mentioned, um, we have it documented how it's set up in our marketing automation platform just in case anybody accidentally clicks into the smart campaign and like clears out a flow step or something. We have every single piece, um, you know, identified in that documentation. So a lot of times what we do is upon project completions or enhancements um, in our PM tool, the last step is always update documentation. So yeah. we almost have it as a reminder in our process to do it. But my team is a total, like a ton of documentation nerds, like we just talked about. So they are always um, good with updating. So we always just try to make sure that we keep that consistent. Okay, when you're done doing this, go in quickly to the SharePoint doc and, and update it. Um, so we're pretty good disciplined about it, but I would say you have to set your, like give yourself a reminder every time mm -hmm. and make sure you document only what you're going to be using really often. Like don't go documentation overboard because the more overboard you get with maybe not some applicable information, the more you have to keep updated. So we always make sure everything that's in our center of excellence documentation is like, we use it all the time. We go back to it and visit it frequently. If there was a fire in our instance, we would know how to reset it up for those important key key features. Um, and that's really kind of how we stick with it. If you over document, that means you're just going to get more of a cluster, you know, the faster you go. So yeah. that's yeah. how we remind ourselves. Um, another thing we do, too, that one of my team members introduced that I love is uh, beginning of year and end of year checklists and all of um, documentation is in there. So at you know, twice a year, we are for sure um, looking at all of our documentation making sure it's updated. So that's kind of like that final reminder to do so. Love that. Yeah. It's good to set those reminders because it can go so quickly get pushed to the bottom of the, um, yeah. 
you know, bottom of the priority list when, and then all of a sudden it's, you know, that institutional knowledge goes away or, you know, there's a big crazy, you know, change to functionality of your tech stack and, and then you're in a world of pain. Um, right. I did notice that we have a question from Brooke, um, kind sure. of circling back to, to an earlier topic, but how do you recommend someone go about finding a mentee who wants to become a mentor? Um, and, and how can they identify where they can add value once they do have that relationship? That's a good question. Um, I would say, so going about finding a mentee who wants to become a mentor and how can they identify where they can add value? Okay, so a lot of times, um, you know, if somebody raises their hand that they wanna be a mentor or they wanna do like a soft management type of approach, um, I will always make sure to mention it in my conversations with people. Um, so having that awareness because Again, like we talked about earlier a little bit, a lot of times if somebody is on your team, they might not know that there's an opportunity to be a mentor or they might not know there's an opportunity to, to manage an agency. They might just think it's black and white. Um, so I would make sure you mention it to those team members, especially those who maybe know a platform or a system really well. And you have to think it's kind of a win-win situation. They could help you or your senior manager offboard some of that training um, of, of a new system if somebody comes on board, so it saves you time, but also they get that mentorship experience. So I would make sure that you, you know, offer it up and, and look for that soft skill set of where somebody could be a good mentor. And then how can they identify where they can add value? I think that is up to you as a leader to help them too. Um, so you want them to identify their self strengths. So make sure you try to open that door for them. A lot of people might not know they're really strong at something. And that's why I bring up soft skills a lot is somebody might say, Oh, I'm really good in Salesforce and I feel like it's all I do well. And you're like, well, wait a second, you document very well. Your communication to stakeholders is superb. You are a great team player. So helping them identify it by giving them examples, I think can help them realize where they can add value. A lot of times I bring up projects as an example. So maybe somebody in your team is going to be a mentor and you say, well, you handled that data dictionary project really well. And here's what you did really well. And I would love for you to share, showcase and share your skills with people on our team. You know, giving them that confidence, I think, is really important. Yeah. The only thing I'll add there, too, is sometimes it's nice to have that mentor-mentee relationship outside of your company. Um, and especially, like, in smaller organizations where, um, you know, the, there's not a lot of people to choose from. Um, there are a lot of communities, right? And I'd love, Chelsea, for you to yeah. share some of the communities that you recommend for people. I'm sure, you know, we kind of repeat them over and over because there's, there's a, a few go-tos. Um, but there are opportunities to find um, not only if you want to become a mentor or if you are looking for a mentor um, that you could find someone. Um, I encourage my team to go out and join communities and find people to talk to outside of me. Like I shouldn't be the only one that is, um, you know, coaching you on on soft skills and you know the, the hard skills needed to do the job at hand. But um, again, I always go back to that, like, who's your, I put it here, like, it's like your angel on your shoulder, like your board of directors, who are you going back to? Who do you have mm -hmm. that you're checking in with quarterly, um, you know, to help you with your career growth and just, you know, mm -hmm. professional values. I love the board of directors piece that you mentioned. I haven't heard that. And I think that that is great. Cause I do have like that sounding board that I go back to a lot of some really awesome people in the community, but I agree. I have seen a lot more mentor-mentee relationships happen outside of organizations. Um, and I've even seen some people have it as part of a PD opportunity and they might even pay the mentor to help with their time and, and, yes. and really have it be a PD, like I mentioned, in your budget. So I would say 
if you feel like there's not somebody internally that could be good for somebody on your team, or if your team wants to mentor somebody, that's another great path that somebody can go is like, it doesn't have to say here. Um, and I know I'm part of like the Marketo community, Adobe community, um, the Mops Pro Slacks, yeah. the Mo Pro Slack, like there's, there's several of them, but Wizard of Oz. Want, yeah, yeah. And you guys as well, like these confessions, these are great too. Like I, you know, if a lot of us are taking our time to, to talk about marketing ops, we're obviously passionate about it. So I'm sure I would be a sounding board for somebody if they had some questions, I'm sure everybody else would. So getting involved in things like this and hearing people, industry leaders talk about it and being able to identify people you can reach out to. I think that's, that's a great first step. Amen. We're almost at time. Um, anything, any last, um, you know, final closing words that you want to share with Chelsea? No, this has been great. Um, I would just say, keep, I know that we all work hard and we have fire drills every day, but <laughs> keep, keep working at it. And I promise this is one of, this is just the most fun career. I love what I do and I hope you all do too. Um, and this has been great. So I appreciate it, Laura. Awesome. Yes, Chelsea. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing um, so much about, you know, advocating for others, yourself, um, getting buy-in with key stakeholders, sales and marketing alignment, um, so much good stuff covered. Um, I will make sure that everyone has the recording of this after the fact. And um, if anybody has any questions for Chelsea, um, I think you know where to find her on any of those communities on LinkedIn. Um, and please, please tell all of your your colleagues about this this series. Um, the recording is, um, or we have recordings of all of our past series, um, and also an ebook that that we put together of some of these key takeaways from you know, the first 20 or 30 or so participants. So um, thanks everyone for joining and I hope everyone has a great rest of their Thursday and we'll see you next week on Mad Kudu's Marketing Outs Confession.